What's up, Freedom Chasers? If you are looking to get into the Airbnb strategy, we have the show for you today. Our guest has done over $1 million as a host and currently manages over $8 million in assets. And he's going to tell us exactly how he did it right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. All right, everybody, meet real estate investor Caleb Shore, Airbnb host and consultant. Caleb created MyTripify, a company specializing in short-term rentals, Airbnb, in Charlotte, North Carolina, specifically bigger single-family homes. Um, Caleb, first off, thank you so much for joining us today. We are pumped to have you here. If you could just give us a broad strokes strategy to anybody, if for some reason, they've been living on an island. They don't know what <laughs> Airbnb is. Um, let's just talk about the broad strokes view of it, and then we'll kind of dive deeper into the concept. Sure. So typically, I mean, Airbnb, uh, if you haven't, uh, you know, definitely live under a rock, but it's it's typically less than short-term rentals, uh, you know, less than 30 days. Um, so the the rental model is obviously super popular. Short term rentals is is more of a more of a newer thing, you know, within the past five ten years. Um, but it's essentially shorter stays, um, and then typically you can kind of charge more. I'm sure we'll get into that. But that's short term rentals, Airbnb specifically, um, in a in a kind of a nutshell. Absolutely fantastic. So what drew you to Airbnb as a strategy? Yeah, good question. Um, so me and my business partner, uh, we used to work together at an IT company. He actually had a long-term rental. He was house hacking. Um, and then we ended up splitting ways at the software company. Uh, he had, I brought the idea to him maybe like 2019. I was like, hey man, like I know you're house hacking, but um, if you ever move out, you should turn your property into a short-term rental, Airbnb. And this was, you know, kind of before the the craze has has really hit the mainstream now. But that was kind of a new idea back then. Um, turns out he had a, a really bad tenant. Um, it was like a cash for keys type deal. Uh, threat they threatened to sue him. Uh, he called me up one day. He was like, "Hey, what is this short term rental stuff you're talking about?" I, I, you know, he explained the situation to me, um, which is, you know, not an uncommon situation with long term tenants with tenants in general. Um, but typically short term, you, you have a little bit less because they're there for a shorter amount of time. Right. Um, so long story short, 2019 at the end of that, uh, furnished the property. We had no business plan, really no idea what we were doing. Um, ended up furnishing it beginning of 2020. Uh, everything's ready to go. I think it was like February, March. Um, if that kind of rings a bell with, with anybody, obviously Certainly that's when COVID hit. <laughs> And we were like, oh man, we just, you know, spent, it was like seven or eight grand to furnish the place, um, rocking and rolling. We're like getting the listing lives. And then we start hearing of this like COVID stuff that's happening. We were like, at first we were like, okay, that's, you know, not a problem, whatever. Um, but then it, you know, started to get lockdowns here. So that's kind of the inception of, of my Tripify and how we started. Um, long story short, kind of fast forward six months after COVID, first couple months were slow. But then we started to see a trend. People were still traveling. It was just, it was less international travel. It was more people um, coming up from Georgia, you know, from South Carolina, from Florida, coming down from New York. Uh, we're, we're on the East Coast in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we were seeing a lot of people still traveling, but it was less, it was more like, okay, I'm here. I'm working remote. Got to get out of the house. I'm going crazy. 
bringing the whole family with us. So we were like light bulb. So we added a home office. We upgraded the Wi-Fi. We marketed it more to like corporate travelers, travel nurses. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there. Uh, and then, you know, now we're at, we're actually at 20 units. We closed two last week. So um, that's kind of how we started and, and where we've kind of grown from there. Beautiful. So you essentially grew from a short-term rental strategy towards a midterm rental strategy. So are you still doing a lot of midterms? Are you doing a short-term, midterm mixture? That's kind of where I've heard the highest rates. Give me an idea where yeah. you're at now, because you're obviously, you're managing a ton on top of the ones that you own. Yeah, good question. So it, it's kind of a combination. We still list on Airbnb and Verbo. Um, our average length of stay is about eight nights currently. Um, and then we're also implementing more of a uh, midterm stays as well, like Furnish Finder. Um, we have even lists on like Facebook Marketplace. Um, but our kind of goal and strategy with this is we saw early on that short-term stays are great, but where you really kind of take off revenue-wise is when you get like week-long stays at a time. So we were like, oh, okay, like I don't want these two-nighters, these three-nighters. How can we position ourselves to to focus mainly on people staying for weeks at a time? Like this morning, um, I just got we just got a 19-night stay for $3,200. Um, and that's very common with, with our pricing strategy and our revenue strategy. Um, so it is, you know, for people listening, it is possible to get those on Airbnb. Most people... Um, kind of allow those two nighters to just dominate their calendar. Whereas us, we, we don't do that. Our whole strategy is getting these kind of, you know, seven to 21 night stays. And that's, that's who, that's all of our properties. That's how we market. That's, that's really our ideal customer. Okay. So I'm very curious now. So most of the people I know that are looking more towards a midterm strategy, it's more like a it's kind of like a month-to-month -month thing. Like, as you mentioned, traveling nurses or something like that. Hey, I'm going to be in Chicago for a couple months. I'll pay two times market rent for a couple months, and then I'm getting out of here. Whereas yours is kind of right stuck there in the middle, the 7 to 21 day window. So I'm curious, how do you target this avatar? And how do you find them and get them coming to you? Or are you looking for them? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question. It's a little bit of both. Um, I have a I have a marketing background. Um, I started a marketing agency and, and it kind of scaled that up. Um, that was a, you know, a, a prior thing. It's still going, I don't really work in the day to day anymore with that business, but I've, I've learned a lot about marketing. And if you go to our listing, like the first couple of things that you notice are great photos. Um, the copywriting is, is really dialed in to exactly who, so kind of step one is tar figuring out who your ideal guest is, who your ideal traveler is, and then painting a picture of like what they like to do. Are they there for business? Are they there for leisure? Are they there for a bachelor party or a bachelorette party? For us, we typically love these corporate travelers, people that are relocating to Charlotte. Charlotte's growing very, very quickly. So that's something that, um, not something that we personally can control. A lot of like insurance claims. So now we're really generating partners. Um, we have a big enough portfolio to where these insurance people, these housing agencies come directly to us and that gives, you know, that benefits our entire portfolio. So it's a combination of those travel nurses. Um, and a lot of people traveling for events, things to do. A lot of people are moving to Charlotte, which kind of accelerates um, the, the growth plan of, of what we've seen from a traveler base. Okay, so this is really cool. I love that you brought up the copywriting in general. 
because typically when I'm thinking about a real estate listing, I'm just like, nobody's going to read this. <laughs> but, you know, Airbnb, I, I, I tend to read those now that I think about it. So it's like, oh, all of a sudden this copy is re relevant. Like if I throw something on Marketplace, I'd literally know people aren't going to read it. So I don't even bother. <laughs> yeah, um, so let's talk about the copy a little bit because, I mean, you glossed over it. Like know who you're talking to because if you're talking to a specific type of person, you could attract that type of person. So let's kind of just talk about that mindset in general a little bit and then we'll move on. Sure. So really dialing in who your ideal traveler is, that's step one. Um, we know it from, because we, we've had hundreds and probably thousands of travelers now, but for somebody just starting out, for example, really dial in who you want to travel to. Uh, that you know the corporate travelers, the traveler nurses, those are typically people that take care of the properties that are willing to you know spend money and invest. They're not looking for you know a, a hundred dollar a night place. They're willing to spend two fifty, three hundred a night on a great experience, right? Because zoom out, we're still battling hotels, right? The short term game in in general, we're still kind of battling the hotel game. Um, a lot of people, especially younger people, are navigating more towards the Airbnb, the Verbos, the Booking.coms um, versus going to a hotel. And, you know, for us, it's it's we really want to lean into that because me as a traveler, I love going to Airbnbs, like staying in unique spots, like getting an insider feel of what that city is like. And we integrate all that into our listings, to our guidebooks at the place. Um, the virtual walkthroughs, like there's a lot that really goes into it. But step one is kind of targeting in who your ideal traveler is. And then once you kind of have that lined up, you tailor that to everything you do from the messaging, from the property to the listing, to the photos. Like, for example, one question that I always get is like, is professional photos worth it? A lot of people are like, oh, I can get a wide angle lens on my iPhone and then, you know, I can I can put the photos up. But that is the one thing that I would absolutely like. If somebody's not wanting to invest in professional photos, it's not a good fit automatically. Yeah, you'll that is do the, it once. Right, um. <laughs> and it's it's not that expensive, and it the ROI is just. See, I, I would, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. I mean, just as a real estate agent, it's like yes, pay that yeah. money. Um, it might be 150, yeah, 250 bucks, but it's worth it. Um, you're probably going to get at least a 10x return on that. So, yeah, and that's um, the first kind of experience that people have with your business, your brand, your listing. Um, so if if that doesn't catch them in, it's all about getting them them hooked, right? The hero photo, the first photo, it's got to be nice. It's got to be, you know, HD. If you have like a sunset or like you're on a mountaintop or a drone footage, if you're at the lake, for example, it's got to hook people because if that first photo doesn't hook people, they're not clicking into your listing. They're not even reading your description or looking at the rest of your photos. So that one is very, very important. Yeah, I could tell you're a marketing guy just talking to you. <laughs> um, the hero photo. I love this concept. I've never heard of it, but I already understand it. Um, let's. Could you just break that down for somebody that didn't get what the hero photo is, what the concept is, just off that brief explanation? Yeah, sure. So it's the first photo in, in any of your listings. Um, hero photo. I don't know where it came from. I didn't create it. I can't take credit. But it's it's the first photo. It's got to be the best one. Um, of your listing. That's got to be the one that really hooks people and gets them to click in further. That's like the best one. Maybe it's a sunset shot. Like if you're on a mountain, making sure you have the views in that photo. If you're on a lake, making sure uh, like a drone photo is very popular for lake properties. 
you know, showing the aerial view of the property and the lake and the boat and the dock and all that. So it depends on where you're at, but that first photo is, is really, really, really important to, to even people coming to see the other photos. That one's the most important. Absolutely. And I think it's a brilliant thing to focus on because guess what? 95% of your competition, that first picture is going to be the front house or, or the front of the house, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right? Maybe not in the Airbnb world, but I'm just thinking like if I was just to flip the script on the real estate agency world, it's like, hey. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean, for, yeah. for you, like, you know, the fix and flip game, the real estate game, it's probably more of a buy sell. It's typically the front, the front of the photo. We've actually, give you kind of an insider tip, during the winter, we've actually seen conversions go up if an inside photo is the first photo, which I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but we've it switched. cozy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay. People aren't outside in the winter. So like, obviously that, you know, depends on where you're at. Like if somebody's coming to the lake, for example, they're probably still going to go outside. But we, we found that the interior photos during the winter typically convert a little better. Very cool stuff. So you kind of brought up something earlier I would like to kind of tap at you a little bit. You're talking about like the hotel versus Airbnb struggle. And this thing's been going on for a while, right? And I found myself on both sides of the equation, right? When Airbnb first came out, it was a landslide winner. It's like, oh my God, I could live for home or I could live in my own house and it's cheaper than a hotel. When I'm going to do that, I'm never using a hotel again. Then all of a sudden, things shifted right and like now it's kind of a case by case thing where i'll kind of look at it and it depends on where it is because all of a sudden airbnb fees are going up and things of that nature and it's just like hey it might be 70 bucks a night but then you have to pay 400 dollars in the in the screw me tax at the end um <laughs> so all of a sudden i'm not saving money anymore now somebody did give me a very elaborate argument as to why those costs are a lot higher now it's rising labor, inflation, so on and so forth. Obviously, we're not running a hotel, so we can't pay somebody full time. But like, let's just talk about how that struggle has kind of given way both sides. Because I would say it's still a tug of war, right? Let's just yes. kind of talk about where the current state of that tug of war is and what your perception of it is. Sure. Yeah. So, so the, the great thing about hotels is... Um, you're going to have a pretty consistent experience across pretty much any hotel. Obviously there's going to be some ups and downs, but the experience is, you know, pretty straightforward. You, you check in, you get your room key, you go up to the, the hotel, you drop your bags off. And then depending on the amenities, that's really the extent of the experience. Um, the great thing about hotels, they have a ton of inventory. So if you have like a cleanliness issue, for example, they'll just move you to another room. Airbnbs is, is different because you have so many different hosts uh, you know, a lot of a lot of mom and pop hosts that don't really take this as a as a business, as a profession. And a lot of people like us that we do, everything is kind of professionally managed and listed and cleaned and um, doing all that. But the variability with Airbnb is is much higher. So we're starting to see a shift back into hotels because as you, as you know, with Airbnb, there's a lot of like checkout instructions. There's a lot of hidden fees, there's taxes, there's labor. Like there's a lot of costs that go into that, which um, for de December, Airbnb had a huge winter release where they're showing the total cost upfront where they've never done that before. Um, so for us, it's like, 
oh, okay, you can't charge $100 a night and have a $500 cleaning fee. Now it shows $600 on the front page. So it's, you got to get a little strategic with how you kind of price things now, which, you know, if you're not really dialed in and paying attention to it, you're going to get left behind. Like a lot of these mom and pop people in Charlotte specifically, they're January. The average market occupancy in January in Charlotte was 32%, which is so low. We ended up at 72% across all of our, all of our properties, but it's because we've, we paid attention to the, the Airbnb release. We looked at Verbo. We, we figured out how we were going to attack this and we were ahead of the curve. Now people are like, oh crap, we're at 30% occupied. Like I'm not even making my mortgage. So yeah. it's, it's really taking it as a profession and, and getting to a point where you treat it as a business as, as it should be. Yeah, I think you hit some very important points there. So I'm not going to speak as if I'm an expert, but 72 to 80 percent, I believe, is about considered a good ratio for short term rentals. And if you're doing like exceptionally well, that's like 90 percent. But that's usually like a short midterm mixture strategy that's take that's typically not going to be just short term. Yeah. And what we found, Tim, it's like. If we're at 90 to 100 percent occupied, we're typically like why are, why are you, why? Like our goal is not to be 90% occupied because I would rather be 70% occupied and charge a higher rate and have less wear and tear on the property than to be like tomorrow, I could drop all of our rates and be 100% occupied across the board. Okay, but hold on a not- second. I need to pause you a second because you just said if you had a higher than 90% occupancy rate, your first thought is like something's wrong here. You're leaving I'm, money on the table. Yes. yes. Okay. This is brilliant. Keep going. I love yeah. it. Go ahead. Because typically you're undercharged, right? You're under, if someone is willing to book, now obviously there's caveats to this. Somebody has like an insurance claim and they're, you know, moving or whatever, they're, they're willing to pay and invest into a spot. But typically from what we've seen, we talk to investors literally daily and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we're at hundred percent. I was like, okay, um, are you beating like your air DNA numbers? Um, are, are you familiar with air DNA? I don't, I'm not sure if that's, it's, it's essentially a, a yeah. free software that you can log in, get annual projections from the short term mm-hmm. side, just for people that aren't in the know. But the, my follow-up question is, okay, you're 90% occupied. Are you beating air DNA? What does that look like? Chances are, I'm willing to bet nine of 10 people say, no, we're not beating AirDNA because they're undercharging, they're underperforming the revenue. I don't care what the occupancy is. I care about the revenue. That's mm-hmm. a more important number. You're absolutely right. I mean, just if you, business basics, right? Revenue is the most important thing, not, not how many how much money you have coming in. Like, I love people like, oh, I grossed this amount of money. It's like, oh, that's great. What's like, the net? What about the net? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might gross 5 million, but your net might actually be a negative. So your gross doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. um, that that was really smart because I mean, I never even made that connection. It's just like, oh, it's like maybe I'm charging too little then. Um, fantastic. So. You just kind of threw me off there because (laughs) uh, I I mean, I just love it. Um, So Caleb, after managing, like you've managed 1 million of your own assets, right? And you manage 8 million other assets. Like what's the difference between manage, if if there is any, I mean, it's a business, right? So I'm sure it's very systematized. Is there a difference at all between managing your own assets and 
um, the asset you manage for other people? Or because I'm thinking this might even be the inverse, right? You might care more about other people's assets than your own. You do. Yeah. yeah. I, I when going into it, I was like, the ones that you own, I was like, oh, we got to focus more on that one. But actually, you care less about the that one. Always gets pushed to the back of the burner. You, you, it's it's kind of a mindset shift for me because I was like, okay, yeah, this like the one that we own, I'm focusing most of my time and energy on that. We're using like the good vendors on those on that property, but it's actually the inverse. You focus more on other people's assets because, like, realistically. I love our clients. Like they're awesome people. I've like got to know them on a personal level and like you end up caring about them or you should care more about them than like what your property is doing. Um, so that's kind of the, the big mindset shift for me from like something that I own and manage versus like another person's asset. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting to kind of, kind of think about it like that. Yeah, it's funny. As I was asking the question, I was like, you would think you would think more about your own assets, but I'm just like, I would probably actually end up thinking more about other people's in the grand scheme of things. Because ultimately, especially if that's a business model that you're running at a high level, customer satisfaction is, is number one. Um, I'm, this is going to be a brief question. I wish I asked it before, but since I'm not super big on this strategy, how accurate are these air DNA numbers? Or, I mean, is it something like Zillow where I could throw it out the window or is it something that has some degree <laughs> of accuracy? Yeah, great question. So we've we've done probably hundreds of thousands of like analyzations on properties. Um, it's actually pretty accurate. It's, it's the best that we have. There are a, a couple more tools out there that are free, some paid, but AirDNA from what we've seen with our portfolio and all the properties that we've underwritten, it, it is, it's the most accurate. AirDNA claims they're within 10% of the actual number. Um, we've actually found, and I'm not sure if it's just from our portfolio, but typically we're able to consistently beat AirDNA across, across all of our units. You know, obviously there's some seasonality, of course, but like we just went through uh, 2022, right? We looked at what AirDNA said versus what we did. Majority of the time we're beating that number on a yearly basis. So um, we found it to be a little bit low, but whenever we analyze a property, we're undershooting it. We're usually projecting like 80 to 90% of that annual uh, revenue. Just so we're like, I don't, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I would rather give you a low number so you're cool with it because you're the one that's putting the down payment. If you're purchasing or you're transitioning it and you're furnishing, you're putting, you know, 10, 15 grand into making this decision. I want it to be as no brainer as possible. And I would rather shoot low and crush those projections versus the other way around. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that clarity. Go ahead. Yeah. One more thing. You had mentioned customer satisfaction. That's really what it's all about. For us personally, we're at, we're at 18, 18 units. We've got two verbal yeses right now. So that would be 20 total that we're, that we're currently um, managing. We have yet to lose a client. And I think that is really, really important to mention. Um, I thought it was normal, but as we've, we've, a lot of people have left other managers and came to us and we were always like, okay, like, why are you leaving? Well, wait, they did that. They did what? They did that. And you, Dude, it's crazy some of the stuff that you hear from what other people will do will do. But one thing for us, it's like 
I'd never want to lose a client. Like if we can consistently get a 0% churn rate year over year, we're doing something right. We're providing great service. Uh, our team is good. We communicate well. We, you know, meet and beat expectations. That's really the, the goal of all this. Because it's not about how, you know, how fast you can grow and whatnot. It's really, it's all about customer satisfaction, making sure you're delivering a great product uh, year in and year out. Absolutely, 100% agreed. The more value you provide, the more value you get back, basically. I mean, that's that's the way I like to see the the lens I like to view the world. Yes. Like the more you give, the more you get. Simply that, that I mean, and that tends to work out pretty well. You know, I haven't heard somebody yet say that their goal is a 0% churn rate. I hope you could maintain that, Caleb. That is a very high goal, but <laughs> keep going it for it. it because, hey, it you're doing it so far, right? I mean, so there's no reason not to keep your goals high. So we kind of glossed over this before the show, and I would love to kind of get into this because it's you, you managed to kind of enlighten the reason for me. Um, so I've interviewed a lot of short-term portfolio managers, and I've interviewed a lot of long-term portfolio managers, and it's abundantly clear to me that the short-term portfolio managers enjoy their lives a lot more. <laughs> um, it is abundantly clear. Um, and you actually gave me a very succinct answer for that. So anybody out there that is a long-term property manager, um, <laughs> why do you think they should probably consider making the shift to short-term? Yeah, um, good question. So I, it might not be a, a, a it's everybody has their different goals. Um, for us, it made sense because we personally went through a, a nightmare tenant. My business partner did. Um, it just made sense. I personally, I don't like traveling to hotels. I would rather stay in a unique Airbnb that has an experience. Um, now, still, I still go to hotels if I just need somewhere to crash. If I'm there for like more than one night, I'm definitely going Airbnb. And I think most people probably listening to this would, would agree there. So, you know, reevaluating what your goals are. It, it could be could be a great opportunity. It's not for everybody. Um, I, th I think the Airbnb model and the Airbnb dream is is you, you jump on YouTube, everybody's like, oh, it's completely passive. Like you come in here, you make a ton of money, like immediately, like you can get into these properties with no money down. Like it's, it's a load of crap, to be honest with you. Um, it is a lot of hard work. You have to take this professionally. Like you... We took all of last year documenting literally everything that we did, how to handle an alteration, how to handle a cancellation, how to refund. Okay, if there's an HVAC issue, what percentage do we refund? Like literally documenting everything. It took us an entire year and we're still adding to it, but it is a lot of hard work. Um, obviously, we think it makes sense because we can charge 20% versus, you know, your normal long terms, what, 8 to 10%. Um, but our... It's just a better experience from my point of view. The the travelers, the guests that we get are typically happy. They're, you know, traveling, they're traveling with their friends, their family, their pets. Like it's a, typically a better situation that they're in. And, you know, obviously you'll get people that are not happy and, you know, their house caught on fire and they're taking everything out on you. It happens um, with the amount of guests that you that you run into. But um I, I mentioned to you it's it's like dating versus getting married with long-term you better be very very picky with who you pick because you're with them for usually 12 months at minimum you know typically that's that's a little bit longer usually a couple years but with short term you're dating it's like it's fun exciting you get to meet new people see why they're traveling to the city um, versus long term they're there for a long period of time 
Um, typically the wear and tear is much, much harder on the property. You, you can't charge as much as you can with short term, but with short term, you can charge more. Your overhead's typically higher as well. Uh, you know, as for us, we charge 20%. Some people charge 30, 35% for short term. So it's a better experience from our perspective, from what we found. It just, it fits our personalities. It fits who we are as travelers. So, um, yeah, I mean, take all that into consideration um, with if you want to make the switch. But one thing I want to drill home, it's, it is not you. It's not 2021 20, anymore where you can put anything on the market and it just explodes and gets bookings. It is, you have to dial it in. You have to be really good at marketing and photos and coordinating everything. Um, it, it's a lot of work now. Yeah, I just love the analogy. I'm glad you brought it up because if you didn't, I would have had to be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like dating versus getting married. Um, perfect analogy. And you're absolutely right. Um, this is a business, right? And it's an increasingly competitive business because, as you mentioned, people on TikTok and YouTube, everybody's like, oh, it's so much easy. It's so easy to make money. So a lot of people just go into it blind. They buy it and they think it's super easy. Unfortunately, that's not the case. As you mentioned with the mom and pops before, we had an Airbnb recently where it's like, okay, you need to drive south three blocks, drive west two blocks, and we'll leave the key on the porch for you. And it's just like, how is... <laughs> This is convenient for us. Like, <laughs> it's like it's literally a 15-minute drive from the house. Um, but that's why you need a professional person like yourself, Caleb. So, like, if anybody lists was – oh, wait. There's something else I wanted to ask. Not only that, but you just documented all the SOPs that you're building, right? So, like, this is a business that is very structured and regimented. And that's the reason why you're able to run it at such a high capacity because – you're doing volume, you're doing it often, and you have it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Systematized, right? So not everybody has that. You don't just walk into something and have the system built. You have to build the system as you go. So And it, it, it it's ever-changing. It, it mm -hmm. is like uh, Airbnb changes their API so often where it like it affects our property management software. And then we're getting on the horn with our property management software support. We're like, hey, what changed? Like the taxes last month, are different, different calculated than the taxes this month. They were like, oh, Airbnb changed the API. And then we're like, okay, now we got to update our systems and documentation to make sure we're accounting for everything as well. So it's, it's a, it's kind of the wild, wild west out there. Um, Airbnb, Verbo, like Verbo's API is not the greatest. Um, so there's, there's inherent challenges with anything um, dealing with these platforms. So you, you got to make sure you're, you know, on top of it, you're documenting everything. Like our entire team is tired of hearing me say, put an SOP. Like, is the SOP up to date? Uh, I'm sure if they're, if they're listening on this recording, they're gonna be like, yep, I've heard that 15 times this week. So yeah, definitely treat it like a business. Uh, very cool stuff, Caleb. This has been absolutely tremendous, man. Anybody listening, if they happen to be in the Charlotte area, they might have some air Airbnbs that they might need some help with. Sounds like you're doing pretty well out there with your 0% churn goal. Um, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you, Caleb? Yeah, um, mytripify.com, M-Y-T-R-I-P-I-F-Y. Um, you can look me up at uh, Instagram as well, Caleb W. Shore, or if you just look up uh, mytripify or Caleb Shore on Google, I, I, if I'm doing my job well, I should be able to come up. Um, and I wanted to, uh, if anybody has any properties in Charlotte, uh, we'll underwrite them for free, no, no additional charge. If anybody, I love networking. That's one thing 2023 that I'm doing a lot of. Shoot me a message. Um, so, you know, slide my DMs. If you have any questions on how this stuff works, 
I, I provide so much value for free. Um, and I know it will return in, in, you know, 10 X. So if anybody has any questions, any concerns on anything, uh, if you disagree with something I said, that's, that's completely fine. That is 100% okay. Um, shoot me a message. Um, I, I will definitely reply back to it. Absolutely tremendous. 100% agreed, man. Like I said, value you give is what you get back in return. So you might as well give it out in spades so you could get it back in spades. Um, Caleb Shore, absolutely tremendous stuff. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. If you happen to have a short-term rental right now that has more than 90% accuracy, you might want to price it a little bit higher. Um, <laughs> take a look at your numbers. Do so within the next seven days. Tell somebody you know that will help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too, you're living a life of freedom. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one.